Welcome to the Mom Tuition Podcast, where we help ambitious moms tap into their intuition, find their purpose, and live their best life. I'm your host, Katie. Join me each week as we dive into career, business, self-development, and personal growth. Get inspired by successful moms and experts who have been in your shoes. This is your weekly dose of motivation and practical tips to unlock your true potential. Let's dive in. Hello, and welcome back to the Mom Tuition Podcast. I'm Katie, your host, and oh my goodness, you guys, I'm 36 weeks, 36, no, pregnancy brain, I'm 37 weeks pregnant, last week I was 36, (laughs) and as I have been doing, I'm going to kick off today's episode with a 37-week update and how I'm feeling. You know, ultimately, I remember feeling this way with Grayson, like I'm getting a lot of lightning, um, just starting to really feel pretty uncomfortable, um, struggling to find how to sit or stand or walk comfortably. Uh, So... I'm just making the most of it. I love feeling this little guy move. He kicks and punches a lot and moves his little booty from side to side. And overall, things are are looking great. You know, he's head down. He's getting ready to go, clearly moving his way down into the birth canal or in the birth position because of the lightning and having to pee all the time, even if it's just a little. Uh, I thought it was interesting. I did look at my Garmin recently. Uh, I was speaking to a coworker and I was like talking about how much I'm waking up at night. We were talking about quality of sleep and, you know, for any other uh, endurance nerds out there, you know, even to this day, I wear a Garmin, even though I'm barely training for life at this point. Um, I just, you know, I'm addicted. I'm addicted to the numbers, addicted to my Garmin, and one day I will get back into it all. But anyway, I have one that tracks sleep and HRV and, you know, deep light REM and awake time and all of that, and it breaks it down. And it was interesting that two months ago, I my awake time was like 20 to 30 minutes a night. You know, maybe I had to get up to pee one time or I was, you know, maybe tucking Grayson back into his blanket or something, but it was very short. And then it started to increase to 40 minutes and then 50 minutes. And in the last week... It's now up to 90 minutes. And a week before that, it was uh, 70 minutes. And what I've really realized is I'm now peeing three to four times a night. And every time I wake up to pee, A, I start fighting with myself. Like, I don't want to get up. I don't want to get up. Can I fall back asleep and just hold it? And no, I can't. (laughs) And then you pee and then you come back. And then because you woke up and you moved, you know, you have to reset all your mind again, uh, which is always, you know, sometimes I fall right back asleep and sometimes my brain starts moving and thinking and checking off 
to-do lists in my head uh, that don't need to be done in the middle of the night. So that is just interesting, you know, how much my sleep has changed and doesn't matter how long I spend in bed or if I find time for a nap on the weekend or anything like that. Like I'm definitely starting to feel uh, the effects of the broken sleep. But like I've shared before, I think it is in preparation for the broken sleep that's about to come. Um, I'm also nesting and getting everything ready. I really don't want to be doing things last minute and you know, we're now in the window of where you just don't know. You know, Grayson was a week late, so I can live in the mindset that like, oh, we have so much time. But, you know, my mom, for example, my sister was born on time. My brother was two weeks early and I was a week late. So it's a crapshoot. And then my husband's um, brother when I was speaking to my mother-in-law, she said uh, her firstborn was two weeks late, so my brother-in-law, and my husband was two weeks early. So there's just, you just got to start getting ready. And again, I like, this time it's so nice to, for the most part, I know everything I need. I've been reaching out to a few friends about swaddles because as I was going through Grayson's baby stuff I realized he was born in January and so swaddles and clothes for the most part were all winter so I have like fleece swaddles and just like really heavy duty warm swaddles we bought fleece um like hospital receiving blanket swaddles and heavy cotton ones because we thought they were so much easier to swaddle. But now it's going to be hot. We don't have AC and we do have fans, ceiling fans, and that will help and uh, portable fans and all of that jazz. But definitely uh, reaching out about summer or hot lightweight swaddles for the heat But other than that, I pretty much feel so much more prepared, right? Like I have a diaper caddy for in the living room. I have a diaper caddy for the, for our room. And I'm not just putting baby stuff in this. Like, yes, I have some diapers and some uh, burp cloths and some A&D ointment and things like that. But I'm putting, you know, nipple butter in each one. I'm putting uh, things that I might need in each one. And then I also have a three-tier rolling cart that I can move from room to room. And that is going to, that has, I've already organized it, that has like, both baby and me diapers for postpartum. It has, uh, again, breastfeeding things. It has uh, milk catchers. It has, um, I dealt with an oversupply last time, so I'm more prepared for that. And I will definitely be discussing my learnings this time versus last time and on future episodes once the baby does come because I feel like there's a lot more discussion for um, how to boost your supply 
versus how to manage an oversupply. So for anyone who ends up finding this podcast or finding this particular episode uh, in the future, not this particular one, but a future one, you know, hopefully it will help them because things that I needed were like heat packs and cold packs and I needed, uh, I have a lactation massager this time. Um, I had, I needed like larger milk catchers because the milk catchers that I had uh, only collected like, I think up to one ounce, but even maybe half an ounce, maybe one ounce. And I, you know, anyone who's breastfed, when you uh, are breastfeeding on one side, the other side also releases milk at the same time and there's nobody there to drink it. So uh, I I would, on the other side, it's called let down and I would produce like three, four ounces of just let down in a feeding session. So I have bigger uh, milk catchers and I have ice packs, perineal ice packs in all, everywhere. The rolling cart, the diaper caddies, uh, these were must for me postpartum last time with a vaginal delivery. I mean, they, I didn't use them initially, like within the first week and I wish I had right away. And once I started using them, I was like, this is a game changer. (laughs) It was amazing. So I have all of that. I started, um, I got a new hand pump this time. So I have uh, one of those. I, um, yeah, I'm just kind of getting those things ready. And then next up is going to be the hospital bag. So last time I really didn't bring much. And because I was just like, this is, seems like overkill. You're going to a hospital where they have everything. And in hindsight, there's a few things that I wish I had brought. Um, I w- wish I had brought my own pillow. I wish I had, uh, I will bring the milk catcher, although I'll mostly be producing colostrum, um, you know, in those first day or two in the hospital, but bring those just in case. Um, And I remember wanting my own shower towel. Uh, The ones at the hospital are like white and pretty rough and scratchy, so bringing my own shower towel, as well as my own uh, face wash, soap, conditioner, etc. I didn't do that. I was just like, oh, that just seems silly. And now I get why. Like, you just want to have a nice first shower. So bring my own, um, yeah, bath towel and soap and all of that. And I also, um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there was anything else, but those were kind of the necessary where I was like, man, I definitely should have those this time. It just makes such a difference. Um, and yeah, get that hospital bag ready and man, it's going to be game time here soon. Uh, but that's kind of my 37 week update this week. I don't really have anything else and gosh, I can't believe the next time I update you guys will be 38 weeks. Time is flying. And with that, I want to get into today's podcast episode because it it is going to lead into, I think, some future interviews that I do. 
And that is, I'm a big believer in self-discovery and, and using tools that we have to either validate what you already think about yourself, but you just need reassurance and or maybe open your mind to who you are. Maybe reveal some parts of yourself that you didn't really think about yourself until you start using these tools. And some, you know, at the end of the day, they... Anything self-discovery, like social sciences, uh, pseudoscience, etc., take it with a grain of salt. So not everything is like literally your blueprint of who you are on it. That would take away a lot of the fun, right, of who we are, but and discovering and going introspective and all of that. But I think self-discovery tools are so cool. And what I consider to be self-discovery tools are things like astrology, human design, Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, so like personality tests and or things in the spiritual side. So I, you know, you can also go into a deep dive into your family history to learn more and and you can ask your parents and you can talk to your siblings and and know that side of things as well. But for the most part, this is like inputting information about yourself and then it is spitting out more information about you back at you. So ever since I was probably a teenager, you would find me in the self-help section. And I just have always had an interest in how do we grow? How do we continue to evolve and become our best self over and over and over again? And I'm of the mindset that it's multifaceted. I think that there are walls that we put up uh, during puberty when we become self-conscious and self-aware and we create fears. But I also believe that so like releasing those fears about ourselves or releasing those self-consciousness thoughts, that is a huge part. So kind of peeling back the onion, if you will. And then there's also the side of the other way. You are expanded, you are introduced to new people and you develop new neural circuits through different experiences. And... Uh, So I just, I'm a believer that we are always doing both, peeling back the onion as well as developing new neural circuits and evolving into who we are supposed to be. And so anyway, this obsession with self-help started probably in like middle school even. And I just loved like, okay, go really old school. I loved magazines with the personality tests or like the yes, no diagram and you take it down and you're answering yes, no to these and then it pops out like who you are, what kind of actress you would be or, you know, what kind of uh, friend are you and things like that. Like I thought that was so fun. And so I then started to get into astrology in high school, just fascinated with it in terms of like, you know, I am a Scorpio 
uh, sun sign. And all I knew in high school is sun sign. And I was like, sometimes this doesn't fit for me because I, I'm, you know, my birthday is November 20th. I'm at the end I think Sagittarius starts on November 21st or 22nd. So I'm like considered a cusp baby. And so sometimes Sag would feel right for me for sun sign, but sometimes Scorpio felt right. And when I really started to dive into astrology, I realized that there's way more than just our sun sign, which is like what all horoscopes are based on and all of that. But I got really into horoscopes. So... I even loved it so much that when I got to college and I was meeting some of my, you know, what were going to become my best friends, um, on, and they, we all played soccer together, and I remember going back to my dorm room after learning about all of their birthdays and putting it into some, I think it was like astrologycafe.com or something like that, and putting all of their birthdays in and spitting out who they are. And I remember passing their sun sign. I printed them. <laughs> and I remember passing it out to all of them and being like, does this sound like you? What do you think of this? And just being all excited to share. And so I got really into it. And I just thought, man, like the personality side, I believe there is something to the stars and the universe and where they are and how they fit into our lives, who we are. So, okay. So then my passion really, really started to evolve into more. I love personality tests and I've always been fascinated by them. In fact, my, um, one of my distant cousins, I think he's like my second cousin once removed or something like that. Taylor Hartman, he developed a personality test that my family uh, all did called the color code. And you can look it up. He still does it to this day. And his belief is that he developed uh, this personality test to figure out what we are motivated by. And this was, you're a white, you're a blue, you're a yellow, you're a red. And to just keep it really simplistic you know, whites are motivated by peace, blues are motivated by emotions and feelings, and yellows are motivated by fun, and reds are motivated by power. And you can definitely have like, you know, two core colors, but there's usually, and as you evolve, Every, you start to become more well-rounded and it's harder to pinpoint that one color that you are. But his test is based on when you are a kid. And so it's actually really helpful for your parents to fill out his test. And that was kind of, so I have this like background and fascination with astrology. And then we have this family member that is a psychologist and was a family therapist for years uh, that developed a personality test and again called the color code and so there's this fascination that just developed in me ab about this and so the the self-discovery tools that I have used started with astrology and so again that's this your sun sign which represents our ego and motivations which is 
our core self. Our moon sign governs our emotional nature, which is our inner self. And our rising sign is the energy we put into the world, our outer self. And so if you dive into these things, whatever, figure out what these are for you, your sun sign, your moon sign, your rising sign, and learn a little bit more about these signs. And I think you might start to see a more holistic picture of yourself within astrology. And again, it's not a fingerprint in the sense that like it is exactly who you are, right? Like you are discovering, take what resonates with you and leave what doesn't. But for the most part, what I found is, oh my gosh, now everything really comes full picture. It feels very holistic. The color code test, like I mentioned, I learned that for the most part, I'm motivated by fun. So I think my parents definitely struggled to implement this as a kid. It it was kind of like, just get your chores done. But I think looking back, there are there were opportunities to create more compliance. Um, I think about this with brushing teeth, right? So I have a two and a half year old. Getting him to brush his teeth is like, it's just hilarious. And hilarious isn't the right word. It's frustrating, if I'm completely honest. And it's very hard to do. And I exert a lot of energy. And I've tried all the tricks in the book from everything I've read and from our dentists and like make it fun and dance and be silly and all of these things. And like that does not captivate his attention. But when we say things like in order to have, you know, treats, uh, we have to brush our teeth and we have to brush our teeth in the morning and at night in order to you know, keep our teeth clean and and be able to enjoy some of these fun food things in life. And for whatever reason, even though the kid doesn't even like treats, literally every time we offer him one, he eats like one bite and walks away. He's more of a savory guy. Uh, But for whatever reason, saying this has made him start brushing his teeth. But for me, it has been you know, fun. If we had done the dancing, if we made cleaning up our rooms social, which would feel fun to me, um, playing music, uh, that would absolutely motivate me. So anyway, I took the color color code test, found out I'm motivated by fun. And that has been an amazing learning and lesson to me. Also not surprising, but helpful. And then there is human design. So human design is essentially a mix of Kabbalah. I don't know if I'm going to say this right, but I Ching, Myers-Briggs, astrology, biochemistry, genetics, and the chakra system all in one. It is definitely considered a pseudoscience. It is considered a, um, it, it doesn't have like any proven facts behind it, but if you Put in your information, meaning your name, the day you were born, your date, uh, your birth date, as well as time, just like astrology, it spits out um, what type of human design you have. And this was a game changer for me to learn about my energetics. So I learned that I'm a manifesting generator and it 
shared exactly, you know, how I best can show up in the world and what my gifts are and how to stay grounded and how to improve and what is the best day-to-day working style for me. And it, it just really opened up my mind and validated a lot of things that I've felt in my life. And which then brings me to Myers-Briggs, which Human Design incorporates a little bit of. I've always used 16personalities.com and taken their test. And I've definitely taken it a few times over the years because, again, we evolve. And you're, if you are evolving, you're doing life right. You don't want to necessarily be stuck in one spot. So growing up, I was probably an ESFP, which is a performer. Um, I, my whole family would say that, that as a kid, I wanted to be front and center performing dance and gymnastics and, uh, you know, being silly and being the center of attention. And then over the years, I evolved into an ENFP, which is way more in line with who I am today. And I'm more of like an ambivert. And it talks about how uh, the ENFP is an outgoing introvert. And it, again, was very validating for me. So Myers-Briggs is an introspective self-report questionnaire indicating differing psychological preferences in how people perceive the world and make decisions. And it's based off of four, um, really eight traits. Um, And then it, it creates these different 16 types. 16personalities.com added a fifth trait. And so you still have the 16 types and then it adds either an A or a T to the end of each type. And I wanted to go through kind of what those eight traits are and well really 10 traits to just kind of maybe inspire you if you haven't done Myers-Briggs to check it out and see if it gives you any useful information. But at the, at the starting point, you have introvert or, or extrovert. Again, they do a really good job of understanding when you add in the other elements of are you a little bit more of an ambivert. So again, an ENFP tends to be more of an ambivert versus this hard introvert or extrovert, even though it has E at the front. And then observant or intuitive uh observant is practical pragmatic down to earth whereas intuitive is imaginative open-minded curious and then you have thinking or feeling so thinking is objectivity rationality logic over emotions and feeling is sensitive and emotionally expressive and i think those first ones are really kind of easy to understand. I think this one is the hardest one, judging or prospecting, because in our heads we think judging and we think it in a negative way. But judging is, in this context, is being decisive and highly organized, wanting clarity and predictability and closure. Whereas prospecting is more improvising, spotting opportunities, being flexible, relaxed. Uh, these are traditionally non-conformists as well. And then again, 
16personalities.com has assertive or turbulent. So assertive is self-assured, even-tempered, and resistant to stress. And then turbulent is self-conscious, the complete opposite of this, self-conscious and sensitive to stress. And so it kind of takes this, like, let's say you have a ISTJ-A. It's going to add that you are an ISTJ, but the A is that you're self-assured, even-tempered, and resistant to stress within your personality type. So that was a game changer for me to take that over the years and be like, ENFP. The crazy thing is, is that when I do Myers-Briggs, human design, astrology, you start, when you start doing all of these different ones, you start to see a, like some similarities, some themes that come up for you, which can be really validating as well. Okay. And then we have Enneagram, which is a hot personality test right now. Um, I think it's very, uh, it, it feels very new to me. I think it just hit its tipping point where many, many people now know their Enneagram. And the Enneagram is a system of personality typing that describes patterns in how people interpret the world and manage their emotions. So it that's an interesting definition that I found. Um, but ultimately, there are these nine types and you have wings with them now enneagram was is hard for me and i think again i wonder if it's easier for certain types versus others um i kind of found myself not having at the very beginning a clear front runner and sometimes what is best with these if if that's not happening for you is to read the personality descriptions and try them on and see if that makes sense. And then it was like, okay, I'm probably a mix of a three, the achiever, and a mix of the seven, the enthusiast. And when I read about those, they sound really similar and uh, to me, not necessarily to each other. And uh, definitely my family validated that like I'm a mix between a three and a seven. Um, And it's just kind of depends on, I think also where you're at in life and uh, different environments bring out different parts of our personality, right? But Enneagram didn't quite for me have the same validating effect that these other ones did, but I know it does for others. So I wanted to include it because it's been a game changer for a lot of people when they learn about their Enneagram. And then I have another woo-woo one that I actually forgot to put in my notes and add, but it's called The Secret Language, okay? And this was, this is, again, it's The Secret Language of Birthdays, and It is based off of your birth date, as you can imagine, but this actually has a little bit of science with it. So uh, I just want to bring up real quick 
the secret lang- language of birthdays. So it's combining astrology, numerology, and pure psychic intuition. But what what's so interesting about it is that when you learn about why it was created, and it was created by um, this guy, Gary Goldschneider, and what he did was he decided he would take, um, he studied 40, it was a 40-year study of 20,000 people, okay? So this is not just, uh, again, there's science behind it. And he analyzed them by date of birth. And what he did was he started to put them in groups of like the same day and the same week and the same month and the same year. And what he started to see was similarities. And that's what is just mind-blowing to me. And what he started to do was realize that people who are born on the same day have these similar traits and people who are born during the same week have these similar traits and people born during this month have these similar traits and people born during this year have these similar traits and it was all based on a study of 20,000 people over 40 years it was just it's just amazing to me and what he did was help, he created, again, just Google the secret language of birthdays and it will take you to the website. And I will put the links to all of these in the show notes so that you can go on your own self-discovery journey. But it is shocking. Now, there's outliers and he talks about that, but for the most part, it is shocking to read this. This is one of those where you're like, how? How did you know that? And I, it gives you like meditations and things to think about or things to work on. Um, and based off of, um, you know, again, this research. And so if you look up your own birthday, it's going to, again, walk you through um your day, your week, your month, and your year, and kind of tell you a little bit more about it. So like, I'm the day of the, I'm called for November 20th, 1984. I'm named the modulated scrambler. And the day of the scrambler, the positive traits are active, scrappy, and idealistic. And the uh, negative traits are volatile, overzealous, and obsessive. And you can then click on the report and it will give you a meditation. It will be like, so for me, the simple realities of everyday life have an important connection with the world of high ideals. And then it gives you advice. So it's like, and I've put these on post-it notes before, but uh it gives you advice on what to do. And I'm like, oh, when you read these, it is shocking. It is legitimately shocking to be like, I've had people say this to me or I have in it maybe in a different way, but ultimately these pieces of advice have been shared uh, with me. And uh, I 
I can't stress enough how mind-blowing it is when you go and learn about yourself uh, with the secret language of birthdays. So go ahead. Go do some self-discovery. I want to hear what you learned about yourself. I want to know which one of these. uh, Oh, hold on. This is funny. So in they have like this health section and numerology section and in the health section for me. It says particularly recommended are distance running and swimming, competitive sports of all kinds, as well as aerobics and gymnastics. To me, that is mind-blowing because I've been a competitive athlete. I got into distance running, swimming, cycling, uh, Ironman athlete. I did gymnastics. I did aerobics. And it is like oh my gosh, how did you know? And like, how did I know that my body needed that? But some people don't know. And then you read about your health and you're like, I could try that. I wonder what it would be like if I uh, tried that on for size. So um, one area that I want to dive into that I haven't yet is numerology. And my hope is to bring on experts in each one of these fields to give you all a little bit more of a lowdown as you go on your own self-discovery journey and utilize these tools. And I have awesome news for you that the first person on is going to talk about human design. And I have interviewed her and I will be releasing it probably the week that I uh, give birth. All I have to do is hit schedule. Um, So it is all teed up and ready to go um, other than my intro. So might have to do that from AirPods um, and piece it all together. But ultimately, uh, I'm excited to bring you that podcast episode all about human design to kind of kickstart this series, I guess you could call it, on self-discovery and tools to look into yourself. But again, I'd love to connect with you. Did any of this resonate with you? What have you done for self-discovery? Is there something that I'm missing that I should look into? I would love, love, love to chat to you and connect with you. So um, also, mini shout out that this is episode 20. I wish I had kicked off the episode with that, but 20 episodes, you guys. I can't believe it. And I'm having the time of my life. And I hope you are too. Um, So I want to celebrate 20 episodes. And with that, DM me on Instagram uh, at Katie Morse Riley. I would love, love, love to hear what you thought of this podcast episode. Go ahead and share it with anyone that you think would resonate with this or who you think really enjoys self-discovery. And I hope to hear from you, hear about what you've learned, maybe with all of these elements. And again, I will put links to every single self-discovery tool I talked about in the podcast so that you can go on your own self-discovery journey. And with that, 37 weeks done and dusted. And uh, I can't wait to connect with you all again next week. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And thanks so much for spending some time with me today.